Good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning. I don't know why the whole room is left justified, but... Because we wanted them to be able to see the screen. Oh, that's great. Well, that's really good planning, so well done. Now, is this loud enough for you guys, or is this guys good? Can you hear it? Okay, great. All right, good. Well, we'll get started this morning. Uh, We're going to be talking about the providence of God, the sovereignty of God, and voluntary will is what I like to call it. So we will get started here in just a moment, um, and I'll get started with a word of prayer. And this will be a fun topic because, whoa, hey, I can really hear myself now. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. All right, good. So we will go and get started, and let me start us off with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into this here. Our Lord, thank you so much for this morning, another opportunity for us to worship you and give you the glory that you deserve, and you have created us for your glory. And we marvel at the fact that we get that opportunity, and that you have called us to yourself, and that you have forgiven us of our sins, and you have cleansed us, and you are renewing us and making us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that we would live more for Him. And we pray, Father, that we would continue to learn as we study Your Word, that we would learn about Your attributes, even as we've studied the other attributes in BTI so far. Help us to understand each attribute and help us to to comprehend as best as we possibly can within the limits of our finite knowledge uh, these things, especially as we deal with something complex like your sovereignty and the providence of, of God and how it interacts with our world. And Lord God, we, we pray that we would worship you even that much more because of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so... Let me talk through uh, just a brief section. This will talk through the, the providence of God here at the end. And then I'm going to do like a, almost like a side session to give you more details into divine providence and the sovereignty of God. Because this is an area of study that I've poured into a little bit myself. And I wanted to add even more <laughs> into the notes and give you more to chew on. But let's just start really briefly here with... Um, a definition of the providence of God. Okay, so this is from A.H. Strong, theologian A.H. Strong. He says, Providence is that continuous agency of God by which he makes all the events of the physical and moral universe fulfill the original design with which he created it. Okay, so providence is this continuous agency of God by which he makes all these events in this world fulfill the original design with which he created it. Now, theologians love to use big terminology and you know, syntax, and you can decipher this, right? You, you understand what this means, basically. But in layman's terms, if it's helpful, literally, it just means God controls and ordains everything for his purposes. That's it. That's basically what it means. God controls and ordains everything for his purposes. And, and when you just summarize it down, that's essentially what providence is. And we'll kind of decipher a little bit between providence and other acts of God that um, are a little bit unique and different. But let's just talk about, just see a little bit from a biblical point of view where God's providence extends, okay? It extends over everything, and we just want to pick out a few major parts of that just to kind of get a feel for what we're talking about. God's providence extends over the universe, okay? And we see that biblically speaking in Psalm 103, verse 19. It says, Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty... Now. Um, I'm not as big on the, the term sovereignty in this case, but I, I understand what it means. It's basically the idea. Sovereignty is probably, I think that was the word that was used in the New America Standard Bible, I think. And I think the LSB updated it to kingdom, which is technically what that term is. But when you think about kingdom, 
that's basically like sovereignty because sovereignty means one's rule and we're talking about an absolute rule so they can basically basically be interchanged but his sovereignty his kingdom his ruling is overall that's what this verse is communicating to us and so we see how essentially we're talking about everything because he's ruling from the heavens so we're talking about heaven and everything in the heavens which is earth um, all things and this includes even the, the sustenance or the sustaining of all things. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. We'll come back to that one. Okay, we'll actually go there later on. But Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He bears forth or carries all things by his powerful word. Or Colossians 1, 17. Um, In him all things hold together. Yes, so he's not he didn't just create them. He's not just ruling over them from a distance. He's actually sustaining them. He's actually keeping them held together. So that's important as we talk about sovereignty. We'll get into that more. He's also uh, sovereign and his providence extends over the physical world. And we see this in passages like Psalm uh, 104 verse 1. That should not say John 37 because that would be adding to the Bible. That should say Job. Sorry about that. So that's, that's Job 37. And Job, that's actually Elihut speaking there. And he's speaking through um, cre- the creation and how God rules over all of these things. He's the one that actually makes these things happen. He's the one that makes snow fall from the sky or rain come from clouds. So he is sovereign over the physical elements of the world. He's also sovereign, and it just talks about this very specifically, the animal kingdom. Like Matthew chapter 10 talks about, uh, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Uh, And yet uh, not one of them falls except by the Father's knowledge and ordaining power. Like, He is the one that actually makes that happen. Or the affairs of the nations. In Psalm 22, verse 28, the kingdom is the Lord's, and He rules over the nations. So He's ruling over, macroscopically, people in, in groups, right? Like in nation groups. We also have His sovereignty over people being born, what they're going to be, who they're going to be named or what they're going to be named and what they're going to do in life. Like he says about King Cyrus of uh, Persia, that he's calls forth King Cyrus by name and calls him like before you even exist. He's actually, this is actually being prophesied about him. You're going to be named Cyrus and this is what you're going to do. And you're going to lead my people out of exile or at least give that that decree that they will be taken from exile. And I am the one who is going to guide you to do this. He is sovereign over human success and over human failure. Like Psalm 75, verse 6. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes one's lifting up, is literally what it says. Someone who is... um, Someone who's actually raising themselves up and, and, and ruling or reigning or something like that. Someone does not accomplish something from the east or from the west or from the wilderness just because of himself. But it is God who executes judgment, it says, putting down one and lifting up another. Okay, So God is the one that does this. We also see his sovereignty over spiritual good. Of the righteous. There is actually a special attention that God has toward the righteous to, uh, to sovereignly oversee their good. As it says in Romans 8.28, one of the very common verses that we may be familiar with, God causes all things for good to those who love him. And so he's turning evil for good for those who are his. Or even Philippians 4.19 gives this, and my God shall supply for all your needs. They're participating in the ministry, and Paul is confident God will supply for your needs because of what you are doing even in ministry toward the saints and, as Paul says, toward myself. He is also sovereign in prayer, and that's going to play a role here in a second when we cover that. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, You should not be like the hypocrites, 
For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So even when we're asking in prayer, He already knows what you're going to say, okay? So that's important. Uh, And it kind of creates that interesting scenario like, okay, so then why do we pray if God already knows? We'll cover that here in a second. Um, And then He's obviously sovereign over everything, so He's even sovereign over seemingly trivial matters. Seemingly trivial matters such as Matthew chapter 10 and verse 30. The very hairs of your head are numbered. So that's just just the number of the hairs on your head, which is constantly changing on a regular basis. <laughs> or Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And that could be lots from any size or any significance, right? It could be um, significant things that people are weighing out or even just the smallest things. God is in control of all of those things. So it just gives you a biblical rationale to show you that God is truly sovereign over everything. Yes, that's, that's what we're showing here. Uh, when people are saying, well, he's not in control over every little detail. It's over the macroscopic things, not the microscopic things. This would say otherwise. Yes? It's every facet of life, and it's every detail of life. That you must come away with from Scripture. It's not just a proof text into one passage or something. Now, let's just kind of put this all together and summarize this into some core truths. The theology of providence can basically be summarized like this. God is self-sufficient, and he doesn't need anything to exist or to continue existing, and he is unable to be coerced. He is unable to be coerced. Okay? God is incomprehensible, and he has an infinite perspective. Okay? He's incomprehensible and has an infinite perspective. That's an important thing because sometimes we want to try and figure it out. We want to try to understand it, and we're not going to always be able to understand it. And we need to be content with the fact that God is God. And there is a part, there's a point at which we run into a wall (laughs) because he's God. But we should expect that. Yes? Otherwise we'd be like, is he really God? Yes? Okay. God is all wise and capable of formulating the best plan for the universe. I like this one because it's not just that he's in control of everything and it's not just that he's good in what he does. He's actually executing the best plan according to his purposes. Which means that he's all wise. That's what wisdom is. It's executing the best outcome in the scenario that is given to you. And that's what God is doing. God has created the scenarios, and he's also all wise in executing those scenarios. God is sovereign. Right? He has the absolute rule as king. That's what sovereignty means. And so therefore, he has the right to carry out his plan. So this means he has all authority. He has authority to execute his plan and to make it happen. God is all-powerful. He's able to carry out his plan. So it's not just that, in theory, he has the authority to do this. He actually has the ability to do this. That's what the power is. He has the ability to accomplish it. He's all-knowing, which means he has all the facts. He has all the data. So he he knows everything in the universe, and he's not going to be taken by surprise by anything. There's nothing outside of God that exists outside of him uh, or beyond him that he would not know about. Okay? That... Everything that else exists has been created by him. God is all good and has absolutely pure motives and actions in all that he does. And then God is loving and committed to personal relationships. These all tie together in the theology of providence because God's providence is not just, it's not like a computer that's just doing things. There is a person who's in control of everything, and he has a commitment to his people for a personal relationship with them. And that should be a very comforting thing for us as his people, as Christians, those who are committed to him. And so because of this, it is reasonable to conclude that God is in complete control of all the events of the universe... And he is worthy of our trust uh, in view of our inability to comprehend his ways. So if you could summarize it, he controls and we trust. He controls 
and we trust. If we really boil it down, that's what the providence of God should lead us to. Now, a little bit of a... We'll have a diagram here, too. This might be kind of helpful, but just kind of give you a little case study as well. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Feel free. You can turn over there for a moment. Let's, let's go over there. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. As Peter is speaking to the Israelites at Pentecost... Acts chapter 2, let's look at verse 22 to kind of catch some context. He says, Israelite men, or men, O Israelites, hear these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man who was displayed or uh, displayed publicly by God, uh, has... He says he's displayed by by God to you with miracles or powers and wonders and with signs which God did through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this one, this one, it says, this one was given over by the predetermined, what does it say in your translation? Plan. Plan. Yes, it's a good translation if it says plan. And the foreknowledge of God. That he was delivered over or given over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God at the hands of lawless men when they nailed him, killing him by nailing him to a cross. Okay? Now, what's interesting is that word plan, and I've talked about this before, right? There are two words for the, there's two words in Greek, there's two words in the New Testament for will. Two primary words, I guess you could say. There's the, um, the, the moral will of what God wants, which is the verb thelo. You guys remember this a little bit, right? There's that word thelo, which is what God desires and wants for his people. Like, I want you to do what is right, right? That's what God wants. But there's also God's plan, which supersedes ultimately. And that's the boule, right? The, this is the, that word where you would spell it like um, boule with a long e or whatever. Anyways, that's basically what you would how you would spell that in uh, English letters. Um, that's what this word is here. This is the plan of God. This isn't just, this is what God wants to happen, and I hope it happens. This is what God has decreed by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. This is where God's sovereignty and his providence really makes, um, makes an appearance. Okay, and you can see there's three levels of causation here because you basically have, at level one, immediately, you have those who executed Jesus, which would probably be like the soldiers, right? This would be like Rome, essentially, right? That's level one. And then level two, you have Israel, who tried to distance themselves from it, right? Because they're not technically supposed to put someone to death, especially on Passover and everything, right? And then you have... God himself. You have three levels of causation happening here. And you can see how they're all doing this voluntarily, yes? And what's happening? God is what? Accomplishing it. Because that's what this verse is saying. It even indicts them. You are the ones who nailed him and put him to death, and yet this was done by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. So you have three levels of causation happening there, and this is the mystery, the complexity of providence. This is how providence plays out, and it's hard to understand, okay? It can be hard to understand. We're going to dig into this more here in a second. So, just as a note, according to God's sovereign plan, he permits his creatures to do evil, and this is a great example of this. In Acts chapter 2, because this was an evil act. This was an evil act that was conducted, and yet it was part of God's plan, yes? He permits his creatures to do evil, and yet without incurring guilt upon himself for a greater good that only he fully comprehends. That only he fully comprehends. And this can be understood 
from at three different levels. <clears throat> and I know we're getting more into like defining different facets of God's will, and I don't want to make this more confusing, but you can almost see it from this perspective. You have God's permissive will, okay? God's permissive will. Everything that God has ordained in creation. In other words, this is essentially... He has ordained everything. This is what God has permitted would happen. This is what God has ordained will will happen. This is his permissive will. But then you have what I like to call God's moral will. Okay, And we've talked about this already. Essentially, you could say that this is that boule here. Yes, and this is the... I'm going to just say fellow. This is technically a noun, and this is the verb, and I... Mixing those two, sorry. But anyways, that this is these are the two Greek terms that you would use for this, right? This is God's moral will. And what's cool is you can kind of like summarize this where you have also then God's perfect will, <laughs> which happens at the intersection of these two, when his moral will and his permissive will align. Basically, like you can see that by way of example in your own life, when you actually do what is right and pleasing to the Lord, and it actually happens. Like, that's the intersection of what God wanted you to do and what God has ordained you to do. Yes? Like, it actually happened, and he wanted you to do that. And so that's how we would understand or break it down a little bit in terms of his will there. Okay? I have to keep moving forward, so, but we do have the PowerPoints in case you need to go back and refer to those. You can kind of see it this way. His moral will... Um, on one side, and then his permissive will on the other side. This is a Venn, kind of like a Venn diagram kind of a situation. And then you have his perfect will at the intersection of those, those two. Okay. All right. Now, before we cover the stuff that I was going to talk about more uh, as kind of like a side note here, just one other quick thing, and I mentioned this earlier. Why should we pray if God is sovereign over our prayers, and he knows what we're going to pray, why even pray if he's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish anyways, okay? And th- this is good, because these, this was in the notes already, and I wanted to make sure we covered this as well. So, why should we pray? Well, number one, praying is a part of God's providence, and so it's part of God's ordained method. I think it's kind of funny. Sometimes we'll talk about, like, why then do that? Why even participate? Evangelism is the other one, right? Evangelism, like, why even evangelize if God's the one who's going to be calling people anyways, and it's his determination ultimately. But this is, we, we distance ourselves when we analyze it. We put ourselves outside. We're trying to analyze the whole thing. And in order to analyze the whole thing of something, you have to step outside of it. Does that make sense? At least in your mind, right? It's not like you're actually stepping outside of the sovereignty of God. But you're trying to theoretically step outside of it. But by doing so, you end up forgetting or ignoring or um, removing yourself from that process. Which is not the way that things really are, Right? Because you're actually part of that process. Yes? So, you can't actually fully get your arms wrapped around it. It's like going to like the Sequoia National Forest and you see the General Sherman tree or whatever, right? And you by yourself are going to wrap your arms completely around it, right? Or with your own eyes, without the use of cameras and technology, that you'd be able to see every part of that tree all the way around. You can't do that. That's how God's sovereignty is. And the point is, is that you should live in the sovereignty of God and trust in the sovereignty of God and not try to fully understand it and wrap your mind completely around it. And at the same time, we're going to try to do some of that later today. But anyway, sorry, not to be hypocritical in that regard, but um, especially when it comes to these situations where you're in the moment, that's really important. When you're in the moment and you're praying, you're like, well, why should I even pray? Because God has ordained that prayer be a part of the process that actually brings about his will. And that should be actually an encouraging thing to you, that God would even want you to be an active participant in his will. Yes? yes. Okay. If anyone prays, then God has ordained that prayer. So you just have to realize and be humble with the fact that I'm part of this process too. God has ordained the means as well as the end. This is kind of saying it the same way in different ways, basically, right? But God has ordained the means as well as the end. We, when we analyze it, we're trying to get to the end, but then we don't factor in the fact that there is the means that gets you there. And God has ordained that. 
and that when you don't participate, then there are things that, again, getting into the theoretical, there are things that theoretically could have happened that should have happened but didn't. And you're like, well, God doesn't deal in the theoretical. It's just he does what is. No, he does deal in the theoretical because he talks about it in Scripture, and we'll see that a little bit later. Okay, and the issue of prayer at the end of the day is whether you are going to be a participant in the permissive will of God. Are you going to be a participant in his will? That's the real issue when it comes down to it. And by the way, substitute the word pray or prayer for evangelism or evangelize, and it basically applies the same way. Yes? Mm-hmm. It applies the same way. Okay? All right. That's the end of the notes as it was uh, originally given to me. And then now I have this, like, appendix. Okay? And um, <laughs> I hope this won't take too long here. So um, let me just talk about some things here. And I want to talk about specifically uh, un- unraveling a little bit of this whole notion of God is completely sovereign, and yet I have a will. I have a personal will. And let me go ahead and define some things. Uh, One, we've already defined the sovereignty of God. Uh, The sovereignty of God that he is in control and he ordains everything for his purposes. That's essentially the sovereignty of God. He controls, and that, that terminology I'm being careful with, he controls, you could say he permits, but it's not far enough to simply just say that he permits. Yes, he permits things to happen. But you have to go as far as to say he ordains them, yes? Because mm-hmm. that's the terminology that's used even in Acts chapter 2, with something that's so heinous as the, the killing of his very son. Okay? So, sovereignty is really his ordaining. This is what he's decreed to happen. Uh, you can almost think about it as the, the, the courtroom scene that, of God and Satan in Job, right? Where God is telling Satan, this is exactly how you're going to make this happen. That is ordaining. That's not just like, well, I'll let you do whatever you decide you want to do. That's not what's going to happen. God is saying, Satan, this is exactly what you're going to do, and this is the boundaries that I've set for you, and I know exactly how you're going to execute this once I set the boundaries for you. And that's what I want to happen. Okay, so that's important. God doesn't just allow things to happen. He ordains them. Allowing is definitely part of the process, but allowing is only part of the greater script that incorporates each each action into the ordaining. Okay. Now, the other thing that I talked about last time um, oh, I didn't, not, didn't need to go there yet. Last thing, at the, the last week, was it last week? No, it was two weeks ago because we were we had Tim Carnes here. Um, two weeks ago, I talked about how I was going to introduce this and how we often use the terminology free will. Okay, uh, he, uh, God's sovereignty and free will. Okay, and that's fine if you use the term free will. I don't have a problem with that. Just understand what you just know what you mean by it. Okay, because. There is a huge evangelical circle, and people mean different things by free will. They really do. Free will for us, what we often, what we mean in our circles here, is voluntary will. Voluntary will. Like, I actually participated, that out of, participated in that out of my own will. Yes? That's what we typically mean by free will. Uh, there's a large segment of evangelicalism that would say free will is free from God's sovereignty. God is not entirely control over my decisions. And and mostly those in our uh, Arminian camps would lean uh, lean this direction with the term free. God is out there He knows what's going to happen, but ultimately, I'm the one who's choosing. That's not what we mean here when we talk about free will. We mean you're a voluntary participant. And so, that's why I just don't even use the term free will. Because it's super confusing for people. And I've noticed that when I get into discussions with people, we start talking past each other. When you start using that terminology. You start using free will, and they're like, yeah, but you you said we have free will. And it's like, okay, hold on. We've got to, read, got to define this. Um, 
So I use the term voluntary will because it kind of just demystifies everything. What we're talking about here is that the Bible argues for voluntary will, but it doesn't argue for free will in the sense that we are free from the sovereignty of God or that we are free to choose Christ apart from His work in us. Yes? So I'm careful to use this terminology of voluntary will. It avoids the confusion. Um... And I think we can all agree on the term voluntary. Because I think we understand this. We make voluntary decisions. We don't feel like we're puppeted. Yes? <laughs> and we're dealing with decisions in life. Like, well, I just, you know, God just like controlled me and I didn't have any choice in the matter. It just happened that way. And, you know, if I had a choice, I would probably do something different. That's not how we make decisions every day. And that's why God holds us responsible for what we do. Yes, because we voluntarily made that decision. So let's just make sure that we get the terminology right. And so because of that, because we're using this term voluntary, okay, voluntary will, then that leads to the fact, like I just said, that we are responsible. Okay? That's the natural outcome of this. That's what I'm trying to get to, is that because we believe in the voluntary will of man, that means we're also responsible for what we do, for what we say, for what we think, because it is voluntary, okay? Even though we're going to uphold the notion just as, just as much the fact that God is in control of this and has ordained these things, okay? All right, so now, I need to erase this, sorry, because now we have some things we're going to cover here. There are three different expressions, I would say, three different expressions of sovereignty, okay? There's three different ways that we see this work itself out. That's, that's how I would at least categorize it. Number one is natural intervention, or you could say supernatural intervention, okay? But intervention is kind of the super part of it, yes? It's the intervening of the natural, and that would be like miracles. Uh, this would be like the suspension of natural order, and in these situations, scientific law is essentially set aside for the event to take place, right? Like um, the crossing of the Red Sea, supernatural. Like there's nothing in the physical universe that would have caused that to necessarily happen. Well, I guess you could say like there was a wind, right? So then there was part of that. Yeah, so there's that part of it, I guess you could say, right? But at the end of the day, like there is a direct intervening into the natural order that would cause that, and God is the one that's overruling. Raising someone, someone from the dead, right? That is an intervention. That's, there's nothing scientific that, can, that, we, you know, we would, that would do that. God did that. I mean, the idea, too, is obviously that we would understand that this is certainly what God can do because he created everything, so he should be able to intervene and do anything with it. So that would be the natural intervention, the supernatural. The second way that it's expressed is in spiritual intervention. I like this one. We want to make sure that we understand this and that we hold fast to this because we don't want to go down the Arminian route and just say, well, man can choose God, and that's really what's going on at salvation. It's not really what's going on. There is a voluntary choice that man is making, but when we're talking about the fact that Man is regenerated. That is a work of God first. Because man cannot even choose God without God first choosing him. And I know I have this word puppets here, and I know that's funny. Because we'll talk about that here in a moment. But just make sure that we understand this. God intervenes in a unique way for his people when they come to faith. Or when they are regenerated. Now, for both of, for us, that's a both and. That happens at the, basically the same time when we come to Christ. But for the Old Testament saint, it was not regeneration, but it was just faith. And that was a supernatural thing that the Father was doing specifically. I've talked about that earlier. Okay? But when we get saved, the Father gives us faith and the Spirit regenerates us. And those things happen together at the same time. Okay? Now, 
I use this word puppets because there is the notion like, well, God's sovereignty, you know, if, if people go really hardcore on one side of this, they're like, well, God is just like puppeting you, right? And then that's just it. And everything's deterministic. And so just things are just going to happen that way. And so we're just kind of like robots and God is just kind of controlling us and we're just doing these things. That's not really how providence works at all. No, because we have voluntary will. But can God do that? Yes, he can. You bet he can. Has he done that? Yes, he has. And a great example of that is Balaam. Okay? Balaam is a great example of this. God doesn't normally do this to people. Okay? But he did this to Balaam to show him how stupid he was. That's basically what it is. Okay? Um, Because... God does to Balaam what... This is the whole point of the story. God does to Balaam what God did to his donkey. Okay? Right? Because donkeys don't normally what? Talk. Yes? What happened there? God actually spoke through the donkey, right? Or some way, supernaturally spoke through the donkey, right? He took over the donkey and controlled him and spoke words from his mouth. What did God do to Balaam at the end of the story? He literally came upon him and began to speak for him to show him... You are stupider than your donkey. Right? That's basically what it is. Okay? That's, that's what the, the whole story is to teach us. Is that, yeah, Balaam is that dumb. And you can't, you cannot stop God's will. Which is to bless the people of Israel. Even if you wanted to. Now, the first two instances in which Balaam actually prophesies. He's, I, I, from the text, all that I've read, it looks very clear He's actually voluntarily trying to say what God has told him to say. He initially sets out to see, like, maybe I can, you know, uh, curse this people. And then as he gets up there, he's like, no, I'm not going to, you know, he just starts, because I, I got I to gotta say, that's what, always what he explains to the king, I've got to say what, what God has told me to say. That's just, that's my office. Like, that's what I have to do. Like, I, I know that if I don't do that, like, I'm in big trouble. But then the third time, it talks about how he went up to prophesy, and there's unique terminology in the third time where it says the spirit of God came upon him. It was like three strikes you're out. He's like, I've got to do this. Like I was hired for this purpose. I've got to curse Israel. And then the spirit of God comes upon him and then he just blurts out blessings. That's puppeting someone, right? That's what this is talking about. Can God puppet someone? Yes. And in a similar way, when God regenerates us, he is taking over our will at that point. There's a similar way in that's happening. Yeah, we still have voluntary will, but he's actually changing our will, which is, at least for a moment, an interception of your own voluntary nature. So that you become someone different, and now every decision afterwards is voluntary for you, except it's in, it should be in the right direction now. Yeah? Okay, so that's... That's what I mean by spiritual intervention. It can happen. It does happen to all of us when we, came, when we come to faith in Christ. Uh, not that we're puppets after the fact, but we're just new. We're a new person. And then, of course, for Balaam, that was kind of a fun, temporary thing. Um, but then there's providence. And this is the one that we often are mostly thinking about, <clears throat> which is that everything is happening according to God's plan. And there's not necessarily some kind of supernatural intervention. And we're not talking some, like, spiritual intervention. We're talking about just the fact that things just happen. And God says, I did that. And you're like, how? And he says, I did that. You know, and you're like, what? How? Okay. And because everything's going according to natural laws. Right? And we would argue that, too. Because when you go and analyze, if you can, the situation that happened, and you look at all of the outcomes, it's like, well, things worked according to the, the scientific laws that are working there. You know, there's, nothing seems to be interrupted, and this is where people are like, see, well, this is why the atheist really rests upon these. Like, well, God can't exist, because things are just kind of operating just the way that they have been from the beginning of creation, and they fall into the second Peter 3 trap. Right? But this is certainly the most difficult one to understand for everyone. For us, and we might argue it's probably I would I would argue it's the greatest miracle of all. It's the greatest miracle of all that God could actually orchestrate every event in all of human history for His purposes, and yet allow people to be voluntarily participants in all of it. That's a miracle. That's a huge, huge, epic miracle. 
This is what truly makes God, God. Why is this important? Why, why do I want to cover this with the brief time that we have left? <clears throat> um, we could be content to simply say, hey, we really won't know how sovereignty, God's sovereignty and voluntary will really come together. We just won't know that. So we're just going to kind of leave it the way it is. And we could do that, right? But what happens is, is it creates a tension in our theology that requires us to assess something. And here's what it does. And this is basically the question that gets derived from this. If God is sovereign... If he has ordained even my sinning, like the fact that I sin, then how is God not at least partially culpable for that sin? That's the question, I think, that we're not just trying to be like, well, you know, it's just kind of like this theological argument, God is sovereign. Well, we could leave it the way that it is, that's fine. But there is this question, yes, that is complicated. And uh, the question is... um, Because when we try to assess this, when we try to explain it, we're often forced to err on one side or the other when we explain it, right? We try to explain it from, like, the sovereignty point of view, and then it kind of makes it seem like, well, then, God, did God just, you know, force us to sin? And then if we try to explain on the other side, then it's like, well, is God not really sovereign over it? Did he not really ordain it? Well, he allowed it to happen. Yeah, but God ordains everything. So how does this work, right? So that's why I wanted to get into this a little bit, because I think that we can demystify this. I think that we can demystify this. I understand that there is, um, there is always going to be a mystery to God's providence, but just be patient with me here, and let's walk through this a little bit, Okay. There are six principles I want to talk with you about. I think I would argue that alleviate this tension. And I do so um, very carefully, and I want to do this very humbly, and recognize you may not come away very satisfied with these answers, and that's totally fine. I get it. But this is really important. And I've thought this through (laughs) um, for like 12 years. Okay, So um, when I was back in seminary, this is right when I started to get to know my wife, Uh, at the time and um, I was in a class I was in an ordination prep class and in the ordination prep class there's like 150 questions and there's like 100 guys in the class and they often take like one question and you have to present on it and it's like a ministry question it could be like you know how do you counsel someone who's in the transgender right or something like that or it could be like something like theological like how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and human responsibility, right? How do you reconcile those two things? It could be anything, a smorgasbord of stuff, and it's just testing you and prepping you. Do you know? How, do you have answers for this? And you have to present on it for like five minutes in front of the class. And I remember Dr. Clausen, he's a great guy. He's a professor there at the seminary. Uh, he's an elder at Grace Community Church. He was saying something, and he said something... I don't remember if he said something snarky to me in the middle of the class or something. It was really funny. We, were, we, we have a great relationship. And... Um, and I said something snarky in return, and it was all in jest, and we knew what we were doing. But then he's like, okay, for that, you have to do the sovereignty and human responsibility one. And I was like, no. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? Actually, this is something I've been wanting to investigate, but I just feel like it's like the one that's like the impossible one. You can't solve this one. You get that one. I was like, ah, thanks. And you have to explain it in five minutes. And I'm like, no. So I, I had a couple weeks to prepare, and it was a really fruitful time. And it, actually became one of the first conversational points that my wife and I had. I was like, I'm preparing for this thing. And, and, uh, and she was really gracious to actually listen to me on it. And, um, cause she's great like that. Right. And so, um, and actually it was just one of the things that was just like the conversation started that got us together. And then here we are, this is really cool. But these are the points that I came away with is these six, not all at that moment. I actually came away with three at the time, but then over time I added more. And I've just been planning on eventually presenting something like this. And I still have plans to present this even better in the future because I just don't feel like this is nearly satisfying, at least to me. Uh, but there is, th- these are really cornerstone things that I think that are really important, okay? So number one, number one is creative craftsmanship. Creative craftsmanship. And what do I mean by that? I'm, it's just a starting point. It's something that's super obvious. We all believe this. But God has designed each element in the universe. Okay, this is a really important starting point, obviously. God has designed each element. He's the creator of each element. 
each plant, each animal, each human, and he's done so for its own purpose. And Proverbs 16, verse 4 says that. God has made everything for its own purpose. It literally says answer. But he's made everything for its own purpose. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. Okay, God has designed everything for its own purpose. He's created it. That means you have to understand that he knows it better than what? Anyone. He knows it better than anyone. Creative craftsmanship. Number two, microscopic maintenance. I tried to do alliteration with these, so uh, not all of them, just these first two. Microscopic maintenance. Okay, now, what do I mean by this? It means that God incorporated into the prescripted universe forces in the universe that we understand today and we've studied like gravity like magnetism, molecular bonds, things that go down to the molecular level. Uh, And even you get down into the atom and the the proton and the, um, the electrons and even the uncertainty principle. Okay, sorry, this is getting a little nerdy, but the whole uncertainty principle that you can know where an electron is going, but if you do know where it's going, you can't know where it is. It's like an impossibility. (laughs) <laughs> or if you know where it is, you can't know where it's going. <laughs> That's a fun one, right? Those kind of things are like, I like those kind of things because it shows really God is ultimately the ones in control. Um, these truly showcase these powers and forces that he has written into laws into the universe, they showcase his power and his ability to sustain them. Colossians 1 talks about this. Hebrews chapter 1. We don't have time to turn there. I thought we would. But Hebrews chapter 1, it says he bears forth all things by his powerful word. Now, when you understand that, his powerful word, and it uses the term spoken word there, I would argue very strongly that that's actually going right back to the very beginning of creation. That there's not just like another word that God is saying that's separate, that's actually sustaining the universe, as though it's like, well, he created it, and then that's a discrete thing, and then now there's another discrete thing where he's like using his word to sustain it. No, it's actually that his word, when he says, let there be light, that word is still in powerful effect today. Does that make sense? Let there be, let there be, 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 be light. And it just, the, the force of that word actually keeps things going today. Isn't that incredible? That's an amazing thing. It's kind of like setting uh, an echo, like, except the echo never dies off. It just goes and goes and goes, like, or like a metronome. It's just like, ding, 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 right? God is the one that made that happen. Let there be light. Let there be grass. Let there be land. Let there be water. Let there be an expanse. And it is sustained, and it keeps going. And so all, all things are therefore subject, uh, subjected and entirely dependent on this power, and they continue on because of his words from the very beginning at creation. Um, it's one thing that you have to know is that this is why we don't hold to the notion of deism, which is that God created it and then he set it loose and just let it run by itself. The word of God makes it very clear that God created it and that creative power is actually keeping it going. He's actually actively there, but it's his word that actually holds it all together. That's important. In other words, we continue to exist because from the beginning, his word has continued to echo forcefully in creation. Okay? So that was what I mean by microscopic maintenance. Now, those two are kind of like preliminary foundations. You have to understand that God has built these forces in the universe so that microscopically and macroscopically, he has created everything. And so he knows it all, and he's sustaining it all. That's just a foundational element. Now, the next two are the most important two out of the six. Okay, The next two are the most important two. And this is where it starts to like unravel what's going on. Right place, right time. Right place, right time. This is really cool, and it's baked into Scripture everywhere. But God created us and placed us at the right places us in the right time and in the right place, so that our choices would literally walk us right into His prescriptive will. That's what's going on. 
He's placed us in the right place at the right time from the very beginning, right? That, they're all tied together. You have to understand, this is like a thread. Our lives are like a thread. They're not like discrete things. They're all tied together that are happening. He's placed you in the right place at the right time so that your choices are actually leading you right into his plan at every moment of time. That's what's going on. And you're like, well, did you just make that up? Like, where does that come from? Acts chapter 17 communicates this. If you've got a moment, turn over to Acts chapter 17. You might be in Acts chapter 2, so it's just a few pages over. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. Paul is talking to the people there in Athens. And he's speaking to very philosophical, philosophically minded people. And he begins to talk about God from a vantage point that they would understand. And uh, he really is going to some core truths about how God operates in the world. And in verse 26, it says, And he made from one man, that would be who? Adam. Every nation of man to dwell upon all the face of the earth. And what does it say here? Having appointed their predetermined times... Is that what your translation says? Time? Seasons? Yes? And boundaries of their habitation. Okay, now look at this. Before Einstein came up with the whole idea of space-time, okay, and the fact that the fabric of the universe can be built upon space and time, the Bible's already talking about this, and that everything that is scripted into the universe is built upon the fact that God has placed you at the right time, the predetermined time, and the right what? Boundaries of what? Living, your existence. You have space and time now. You, when you have space, time, right place, right time, you're, you're starting to set up for the notion that God is in control and scripting all of this, okay? Matthew chapter 11, verse 21 also talks about the possibilities the possibilities of what could have happened if you, O Capernaum, had the miracles performed in you as Tyre and Sidon. Uh, excuse me. If Tyre and Sidon had the miracles performed in them as they did in you, O Capernaum, they would have repented long ago. God is speaking theoretically, but it's not something that actually happened. It's a very interesting thing. So, we have the theoretical there as well. So we have right time and right place, and even the notion of when things are not in the right place and at the right time, and what could have happened but didn't happen. Okay, That's important. Um, in other words, if you change the time and the place of the miracle, it would change the outcome. Okay, All right, so there's that. Now, all of this is very mechanical at this point because you're talking about, well, just you got things in the right place in the right time. It's like, you know, like blocks, like just moving pieces around and that kind of thing. But we're human. We have voluntary will. You still haven't addressed that part. This is the kicker here in, in number four. God knows me better than I know me. Okay? And this is where it really comes down. Everything ultimately kind of rests on this notion. And it's the thing that ultimately we forget or we ignore. And it's just, this is where we run into the wall. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Psalm 139 is the great, a great text for this that shows even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you what? You know it all. That's before, that's better, you know me better than I You know what I'm going to say next, so you know me better than I do. And this is really the linchpin of the whole argument. It's easy to assume... This is what I would argue. It's easy to assume that the mystery of the sovereignty of God and the voluntary will of man, that, that whole mystery between those two things, that, it, that the mystery resides on the sovereignty of God part. And to be fair, there is certainly a, an element of mystery, I would argue, that still exists there. But I would argue that we often overestimate the mystery on the man part. That's really what's going on here. Because we think that we understand who us. This is where it breaks down the, uh, the notion that, well, I can choose freely of my own, but you don't even know ultimately what you will choose. Because you ultimately don't know every scenario, if you're put in there, what you will do. But who does? God does. We really overestimate ourselves. We believe we understand ourselves better than anyone. 
but we do not realize how susceptible we are to the sovereign ways of God. We are perfectly susceptible to his ways. This is why when we try to chase after God's sovereignty, trying to understand it, it's like trying to chase after the number infinity. <laughs> Just like every time you chase it, you're like, this is becoming wearisome because I can't get there. But the reason is, is because you're actually trying to chase something that you don't even fully understand yourself in the equation. You don't even understand yourself. And you never will understand yourself as well as God does. That's important. Okay, so that's a key principle here. Now, two other things that come out of this. One, if you give a mouse a cookie principle. I like this one because the kids can relate with it. Okay, if you give a mouse a cookie principle, right? What is, how does that book go? If you give a mouse a cookie, he wants a glass of milk. And if you give him a glass of milk, then you know how that goes. I don't know how the rest of it goes, right? And it does this whole thing, and it kind of leads in this circle to where it gets to the end. And it's like, and if you give him this, then he'll want a cookie and then it's like oh no we got to go through the whole thing again right but that's kind of how god's sovereignty works because he actually puts people in situations that he knows if you give this person a cookie he's going to what he's going to want a glass of milk and there's no better example of that than pharaoh Yes? Because he literally baited Pharaoh into his own trap. And it's not that Pharaoh wasn't like a robot, like, I'm just going to have to do this against my will, right? It's the fact that God knows, I know what buttons to push for you, Pharaoh, and it will, you will decide to do this. And I know that, and that's why I'm putting you here. That's why I'm doing all these miracles, because I know when you see this miracle, you're going to do this. And it's going to force a situation that I, it's going to create my outcome, not yours. Okay? That's the if you give a mouse cookie principle, okay? And then finally, um, I hated bringing poker into a talk with uh, about God, but this will, this is the best illustration I've got for this, okay? Um, God's poker strategy, and God's poker strategy is this: God plays His cards close to the chest. God plays His cards close to the chest. That's an interesting thing because He doesn't tell us everything. In fact, if He told you certain things, it would deconstruct this whole paradigm that he's, he's built. Now, could God do anything he wanted? Sure. But the way he's built it is the fact that he wants you to voluntarily choose things. So to do that, in order to maintain your voluntary will, you have to be kept in the dark about most things. Does that make sense? Because if you knew them, then what? you would change the outcome. You would try to change the outcome. And this is where all these movies experiment with this whole thing. Well, if he knows, then he's going to change, and there's going to be like this new like path in the timeline, and there's like a parallel path. And you know, like there's all these things like these, uh, I love these movies that try to experiment with this. But the idea is that it's all theoretical and speculative because God never does that, because God keeps all the knowledge close to himself. And he reveals these things slowly, and only enough information for you to still voluntarily walk right into his will. Okay? All right, we're basically done here, but um, let me just summarize it this way. If God knows us better than we know ourselves, then he knows what we will do, he knows what we'll say, he knows what we'll think, he knows what will prompt any response from us, and so he's placed us in a world containing a very complex web of relationships. There's like, imagine like a spider's web. It's just like all these relationships connected to each other, these events, these people, these places that we interact with on a regular basis, and when placed at the right time and in the right place, it will orchestrate things precisely how he wants, given that he knows how we will choose to navigate through the maze of life when we encounter each relationship and each circumstance. He knows that. And so then finally, God even at at certain points will bait people to do things according to their own desires like he did with Pharaoh. And he will test them to see how they will respond. He knows the outcome, but he also allows circumstances to arise which will bait someone into a trap or into his perfect plan because, right, if you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk, right? That's the whole notion. God knows what buttons to push to get us to respond according to our voluntary will. And in this, he orchestrates his incontrovertible plan uh, through us, which is very interesting. Um, Quick warning on this. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God and our interactions in his sovereignty within within that plan, that's a very humbling thing. just want to leave you with this thought. It's a very humbling thing. Don't use this as an opportunity to try to understand what is God's sovereign plan 
in this very moment in my life. Because you can do that. Like the whole notion of walking to the mailbox. And it's like, God knew I was going to walk to the mailbox. But what if I started walking this way? Did he know I was going to... Oh, no, he knew that that was going to happen too. And then he's like, right, you're trying to understand and predict what's going to happen. Because that's us, right? We want to have control. We want to know what's going to happen. But God has not allowed us to be able to do that. Why? Because you can't, you can't do that in the moment. Because one, you don't know yourself as well as he knows you. And two, you don't know every data point outside of you that actually will intercept that situation and affect that outcome. You just don't know that. And so at this point, God has really placed you in a situation where you're constantly fulfilling His will whether you like it or not. And so the best thing to do is to submit to that and realize I should obey His moral will. That's what we should be focusing on, okay? There's a lot of other things I could leave you with, but one other really quick thing. Proverbs 20, verse 24 is an excellent, excellent passage. Proverbs 20, verse 24. I, I have to leave you with this. Our chief information officer at the Masters University, Paul Setti, one of my supervisors, he uh, brought this up earlier this week, and it was so appropriate to what we're talking about. It says, The steps of a man come from Yahweh, so how can a man understand his way? The word for man, the first word for man in that verse is the word gever, which means like strong man, mighty man. The second word for man is just any general man. That's important because it's kind of like a greater to lesser argument. If, the, if God has ordained the steps of the mighty man, then how much can any man understand his ways? Right? That's what's going on here. And so the point is, is that um, we, we must submit to the fact that God has ordained everything in our lives, even the very steps that we take. And we cannot fully understand them because we cannot understand all the outcome of ourselves and even every situation, okay? All right, let me go ahead and pray for us and then we'll, we'll be done here. Father, thank you so much for this time. And Lord, there's so much more we can talk about in terms of providence and in terms of your sovereignty. But Lord God, we are so grateful that we can understand some of these things from your word and understand how you're working out your sovereign plan even among us and allowing us to still have voluntary will to choose things because we are worshipers and we worship you and and sometimes we use our voluntary choices to sin. And Lord, that's not what you want. And you're not trying to tempt us to sin so that we might sin, but rather you want us to live for your, your glory. Um, Lord, Hopefully this has helped to unravel some of the mystery of how that interacts. And we pray, Father, that that would give us just a mindset to worship you this morning in the service. In Jesus' name, amen.